Welcome to Become an Idol. I'm Dr. Robin Sargent, owner of Idol Courses. This is the place where newbies come to learn and veterans share their knowledge. I have here with me today, Sarah Canistra, and she is the overnight trainer. You've probably seen her on LinkedIn. And if not, Sarah, will you please do a better job of introducing yourself? Of course. So I'm so happy to be here and happy for us to get to chat. My name is Sarah Canistra. I am the overnight trainer and I'm an L&D career executive and business coach. So I help people throughout the full life cycle of their L&D careers from getting in all the way to high level L&D roles and starting their own businesses too. So really a full circle, holistic look at an L&D career. I'm there to help people do that. It's beautiful. And so I always like to start with like, how did you become an idol? What's your what's your background story? Yeah. So what's interesting is I never knew that learning and development could be a career. That wasn't something I think most people don't grow up and say, when I grow up, I want to be a trainer, right? And so for me, it's interesting when I look back, I had so many experiences in in my career early on. I dropped out of college when I was 20 years old. I just loved to work. For me, I just saw more value in working, especially, you know, for me, I was around that time of like the 08 economic crisis when I dropped out of college and I was seeing all of my friends who were graduating who were not able to get jobs and here I was like working working full time at a real estate company. And I loved it and I didn't realize until later how much my onboarding experience in that company really led me to have such a great experience there. And so all of those things I heard to pick up on. And every time I would move to a new role, I would just get such great training. And again, didn't realize it was someone's job that someone could do that. And eventually, you know, kept moving up into higher level sales roles. And I ended up becoming a sales manager. And a big part of my job as a manager of people, especially in the sales world, was training people. So I was making what I didn't know was called then. I was making job aids. I was making, I was doing recordings, you know, screen grabs. I was making manuals and checklists. And I was hosting weekly meetings where everyone was facilitating. And so again, all of these things were constant themes in my entire life. And I just never knew it could be a full-time job. So one day I was sitting... I worked for a real estate company based out of DC and we had a whole new like training program that they were rolling out. And I was selected to be part of a pilot. It was for a leadership series. It was a two day long leadership seminar training, which I feel like doesn't exist anymore, you know, in this remote post pandemic world. But I was sitting there in this training and I was watching the, the trainer and the facilitator. And I just had like this aha moment of like, Oh my gosh, this is this is this person's full-time job. Like their full-time job is to is to talk to people and to train people on on how to be better leaders and how to be better, you know, how to have better performance in their organization. So at the end, I like mustered up all the courage that I had inside me and I I said, "How do I do this? Like I don't even know what this is that you all are doing here, but how do I do it? Like I want to do it." And they said, do you know this particular software? And I said, yes. I said, great. Do you want to be the software trainer? And I said, yes. And they said, great, we'll start tomorrow. And so that's why my company is called The Overnight Trainer because I literally became a trainer overnight. But the reality is I didn't become one overnight. I have been doing it for so long. I just didn't know that I was already doing it. So I became a software trainer kind of on the side of my full-time job. So I still have my full-time job as a sales manager. I was a 
software trainer on the side. I was doing that a couple times a week. And then when a corporate training position came available, they came to me and they said, Hey, we have this position available. And I became a full-time corporate trainer. And then within two years was leading the department as the first head of corporate training. And from there really went on to leading L&D for other real estate organizations, retail companies, consulting firms. And then about two, little over two years ago, I left my full-time job leading L&D and another real estate company to start the overnight trainer. I really wanted to help people who had a more non-traditional path get into the learning and development space. There's so much to be had inside of our, our industry. And so that's kind of my, my origin story that got me to, to where we are today. I love it. And so I think that we talked before this and we said, one of the things that you specialize in, Sarah, is talking to people about finding their niche and their home in the learning and development space. And, and so really, that's just about talking about what is outside of being an instructional designer in learning and development. So you want to start us down that path? Yeah. And and not to say that instructional design isn't great, right? So like the world needs instructional designers. So I always want to preface it with that as well. But there's so many more roles and, and, and titles out there beyond instructional designer. And I think a lot of people, when they decide, especially now, there's a huge, and I'm sure you've seen it too, over like the last couple of years, people really wanting to transition into L&D versus like like happenstance falling into it and needing to be good at it, right? So I know, like for me, I saw that shift of there were a lot of accidental trainers. Now there's a lot of intentional trainers. And so it's remembering that there's so many opportunities out there, inclusive of instructional design, but also outside of instructional design. And one of the things I really help my clients focus on is figuring out what we call their L&D niche, which is really the intersection between the skill, the transferable skills that you have and want to use. So I always emphasize the wanting piece because it's very easy for us to say, oh, I've just been good at that. So I should continue doing it. I used to say, you, sometimes you need to Marie Kondo your skills and, and you know leave it behind and wish it well. But now she's given up on her whole model. So I, you know, now I, now, now, I yeah, she, yeah, exactly. She said, now that she has three kids, she can't keep anything clean. Um, <laughs> so so uh, I need to find a new analogy, but you know, sometimes we need to le- le- you know thank our skills for what they've done for us in the past, but we don't have to bring them with us. So what are those transferable skills that you have that you want to use? What are your interests, right? Like, what do you, what are you actually interested in, in doing and spending your time doing? You know, I really truly believe that your job should give you energy, not all day, every day, right? We all have to do things that we don't want to do sometimes or don't love to do, or that might drain us. But when we look at the balance of energy, your job should fuel you and give you energy. And so I help clients figure out like, how do we tap into your interests? So that way you feel like you're being lit up by your role and you're doing something that you actually want to do. And then the big piece, the, the third piece of that too is values. So what values do you have? What are what's your core ethos? And what are you looking to have amplified by the next company, next role that you're in? So when we look at what the intersection is between your your skills, your interests, and your values, the output of that is your LD niche. And really what that looks like more formulaic, uh, more formulaic is being able to articulate what it is you want to do, right? So I want to, you know, develop high-level onboarding programs, or I want to develop, you know, next generation leadership programming, right? Like what is it you want to do? How you want to do it? What are those top three to five skills that you want to utilize, skills interests that you want to utilize to make that a reality? And then for who do you want to do it for? And what I mean by for who you want to do it for, it's what type of company values do you want to share in your next company? So a company that values creativity, innovation, and autonomy, or a company that values 
innovation, like whatever that may be for you. So those three components are really, really important. And what we start to do then is rather than picking a specific title, I think that's where most people go wrong in their career journeys, whether it's entering in L&D for the first time or growing, is we're so conditioned to like pick a title and go with it. Whereas the reality is, you probably know, like, you know this, you can look at three different instructional design job descriptions. They all say instructional designer at the top, but they're all asking for three different things. And so rather than trying to fit yourself into every single box that says instructional designer or whatever it may be, how do we start to create your own box and say, hey, here's all these different roles that fit inside of my box. And that's really where I start to see people open up their mindset around what is available to them, that it's beyond just one specific title, that it could be 50 titles that end up being the right role for you because the job description is the right role for you. You know, it's kind of almost erasing the title because they're really, there's no, there's, we have no governing laws that say an instructional designer must do this. A learning experience designer must do this. A learning program manager must do this. So I see clients yesterday, I had someone who was applying for a coordinator role. And typically we think of like what a coordinator would be, but this role was essentially a program manager role. They were just calling it a coordinator. So again, if she wasn't looking for the specifics in the job description, she would have missed out on that role. And the role paid $150,000 a year. So like, it's not even like it was an entry level role, but they just happened to call it that. So finding your niche allows you to expand the options that are available to you while still remaining true to yourself and not throwing spaghetti at the wall. So what are some of these other titles that we can put out in front of people? I mean, oh my gosh, list them. The list goes on. I mean, (laughs) and and I actually have, if you go to my website, theoverrighttrainer.com, I actually have a guide that's 50 plus. It's actually 60. I don't know why I called it 50 plus, but it's 50 plus L&D roles and the top skills needed to land them because there's so many different roles. And I think when we think about not even just the roles, but also like all the fields inside of L&D, right? So there's L&D as a whole, there's instructional designs, right? So you have instructional designer, learning experience designer, you know, everything that kind of falls into e-learning developer, right? Everything that falls into that category. You also have customer education, right? So that creates its own customer education specialist, onboarding specialist. Then you have program managers. I have clients who are onboarding program managers, leadership and development program managers. I have clients who are learning and organizational development specialists, right? So it's like you literally, the the possibilities are endless. So to kind of give you a, a, a bigger picture, as of, I just spoke at a conference a couple of weeks ago and I pulled these numbers right beforehand. As of like end of February, there's 1.4 million open L&D and L&D adjacent roles just in the United States. So you have to imagine, I mean, that's hundreds of like, it's, I'd say it's thousands of different titles that exist in there, right? And that's up 300,000 from October. I pull those numbers quarterly. And so it's really interesting to see. And there's some titles where I've never thought of before. I have, I have a client. She has the weirdest title. I can't even remember it. But really what she does is like employee engagement. That's really what she does. But her title is like, engineering enablement manager 5-42. Like, you know, if she was just looking for instructional design roles, she never would have found that, right? So like, you know, it's really getting clear on what your niche is and just being open to whatever titles come your way. Even if you're like, this is a weird title, read the job description. The job description may be exactly what you're looking for. Like who cares what the title, what, what you're being called. So say somebody goes through this process, Sarah, and they said, okay, I've aligned 
what I want to do, my skills and my values. If I'm not searching for a title, am I searching for keywords? Yeah. Yeah. So you're, you're utilizing a keyword search. So it's thinking about, and I, and I like to think about it in different ways that you can utilize this keyword search. So what I really help my clients do is figure out like, what are those aligned skills? I, I think about it like nutrition facts, you know, like on the back of a label, how, when you look at the nutrition facts and like the ingredients in there, like it always starts with the ingredient that has the most amount inside of that package or inside of that product. And so I like to think about that too, in terms of What's going to light you up the most? Like, what do you want the most in your like L&D career ingredients? And a lot of that has to do with the skills and the strengths that you have that you want to utilize. So for example, I might have a client that says for them, what's most important is program design, facilitation, coaching, let's say e-learning development, right? So maybe those four things, like they want to find a role that includes those four things. That's what I encourage people to search for rather than titles search for those in your, I, I like to use LinkedIn. I think it's the most robust kind of job search engine, but search for skills instead of for title. And it'll take some time for the algorithm to catch up to what you're doing, but it's really interesting for you to see what starts to pop up that aligns with those keywords versus just what pops up with the titles that show up for you. And, and a whole new world will open up in that case. And I encourage people to do that with values. So start to understand, you know, what are the types of companies that align with your values? So if you have three, four or five core values, search for those inside of your keyword search too, and start to see, oh, hey, here's this company that's like super, super aligned with my values. Let me make sure I'm following them or seeing what's happening there or networking with people at that company just to learn more about it. So that way, if a role comes available for me there, I I already have that connection. And I know this is a company that will amplify the values that I already bring to the table. We do something similar too. And what's also interesting about this formula that you talk about, Sarah, is that not only can you work backwards now from, okay, you know what your skills are and what you want to focus on and these keywords, but now you can also demonstrate to the prospective employer that you have these very specific skills. And as we know, there's multiple different ways that you can demonstrate that skills, whether it's through your portfolio, whether it's through specific certificates that you get or on and on, right? Just to demonstrate those skills. And also even that more and more recruiters and applicant tracking systems are directly syncing to the back of skilled platforms like the digital badges and credentials. They're actually Mm -hmm. searching for people who have evidence of specific skills. And so even just working backwards in that way, uh, will help you find that. Yeah. And I think it's, it's kind of like a classic learning principle, right? Like starting with the end in mind, like, okay, what's going to make me happy? What skills am I going to be utilizing in my next role? And I have clients think even further ahead, like what's the legacy you want to leave behind? And then how do we, yes, backwards engineer into what that looks like as your next step too. And then to your point, how do we now demonstrate that? And I think through your resume, if you need a portfolio, right, there's so many through your LinkedIn, your personal brand, through the connections that you have with people are so many different ways to be able to demonstrate that. But if you don't know what you're trying to demonstrate, that's where, that's where people kind of go off the rails and they're applying to hundreds and hundreds of roles, but it's like, those can't be all aligned with you. And you can't possibly demonstrate all of those things in hundreds and hundreds of roles. So with my clients, what we focus on is it's quality over quantity, always. The quality of the role, is it aligned with what your L&D niche is? And what I find is 
when we apply to more aligned roles, you see a lot more callbacks and interviews than you do when you're just spraying and praying and you know sending your resume everywhere and hoping, praying, right, that that someone will get back to you eventually. It's a much more aligned approach when you start with what that what is that end in mind for you and work your way backwards. And also just knowing who you are and what you want. And like, just like, I like that word that you use there, which is alignment. When you find the position that's in alignment with what it is that you want in your niche, um, you also have more grit and follow through. So for example, Gretchen Johansson, she's one of my idol mentors. She landed a job at Zillow, but what was interesting about that journey for her was that she had been an instructional designer, a couple other companies, but it was by that time that she really like honed down what she wanted. And when she saw this job come up at Zillow, she knew that it was for her. And so when she first submitted her application, it was rejected by that applicant tracking system. And it was because she knew that she was the perfect person for that role. She reached directly out to them and sent her them her information like, no, look, your applicant tracking system is wrong. Yeah. I am the person for you. And she got it. the job and they're yeah. like, you're right. You are the right person. And so I would just like to add that is like, that's another part of finding your niche is that you become more aggressive about like, no, this, no, you really do want me. <laughs> yeah. You're so much more confident, right? Like I always say like clarity breeds confidence. Like a lot of times when we're lacking confidence is because we're unclear, we're unsure, we're uncertain, right? And so like that, that starts to, to eat away at our confidence and imposter syndrome comes up and all of those things. But when you are super clear on what value you bring to the table, the skills that you have, like the interests that you've been working towards, right? Like nothing can stop you. Like even a rejection can't stop you because you have now have that, I like to call it your subconscious confidence. Like you, because you have that clarity, it just oozes out from you too. So I think it's a great example of like, someone who knew what they wanted had that clarity and that clarity gave them confidence to say, nope, I know, I know I'm the right person for that job. Like I have true clarity and I'm seeing a one for one here. And I've had that happen to clients too, where like they didn't get selected, but they knew someone who worked there and their, their resume got pushed through the back end and you know, like, oh, wait, yeah. How, how did we reject you? How did that happen? And sometimes it is an applicant tracking system. And a lot of times it's just a, a human recruiter who may not just, they may not be as familiar with the role. So they may not quite know. Right. So I think having that grit comes from that clarity and that confidence for sure. Yeah. And confidence is just so important, even when you show up to the interview and I, and I, I hear you about that. It requires clarity. It also requires action, right? If you've never done the thing that you are applying for, then you're not going to have confidence. So I think it's, I think it's a combo, right? It's, you have to be clear about what you want and you have to have taken the actions to know that you can do the job. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's too, it's getting, I think where most people get tripped up too, is they think they have to demonstrate everything for a new setting where really the reality is we, we, you and I were talking about this before we hit record, but L and D is not, not that there's not skills you need to learn once you're already in it or to get in it, but L and D is a field of transferable skills. So there are so many, I, and that's why I work with people who are in, and I know you do too, higher education, K through 12. I have people who are in sales and marketing or customer success, right? Who say, Hey, I have a lot of these skills already. 
How do I translate them in? So I think, of course, being able to demonstrate them is important, but you don't have to demonstrate them and have them all in a corporate environment necessarily, but you do have to know how those skills translate. I think that's where people get tripped up sometimes. They think, oh, well, now I have to learn all of these skills again in a corporate environment. That's not always true. Some of them you do, right? Some of them don't aren't a one-for-one translation that there's going to be different ways of doing things. But for a lot of skills, the skill is the skill. Where you apply it is agnostic. So I think that's a big piece too of like that confidence is being able to articulate how they've utilized that skill, what they've done and the impact that it's had in the past too. I think that's a big, big piece for people too. Yeah, I mean, just we've been talking about examples of of people who transfer in and, and the transferable skills and even just talking, I think we even mentioned that the skills that you learn as an instructional designer transfer outside of yes. L&D. And, and we've seen that ourselves. We were talking about it. Like, for example, there's been people that came through my academy and they learned the skills of an instructional designer, but they really liked the organization and they like the tech and the tools. And so they went and started a career as a virtual assistant. And so yeah. those skills just open up so many different doors. I'm sure you've seen. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, even too, we were talking about this too. Like I even see it, you know, I do, I do business coaching for people who are looking to leave L&D and start their own L&D business, whether it's coaching or consulting or freelancing. And that's the really cool thing too, to see the skills that we learn as, as learning and development professionals, how that translates to being business owners too, right? And like creating content and being able to market things and being able to run gap analysis and needs analysis you know, of your own business, being able to understand what is it, what is it my clients actually need and how do I create solutions for that? So I see so many transferable skills between being an L&D at any part of L&D and entrepreneurship too. But to your point, of course, like there are so, I, I've had clients who have decided that they wanted to, you know, take their L&D skills and go be in marketing or go be in customer success or go be in sales and be, you know, sales de- you know, development and things like that. So it's so, I think the possibilities are infinite in all honesty of like what you can do when you have core learning and development skills. I think that another thing, just kind of what we've been talking about, kind of brought up my first experience as an instructional designer. I didn't figure out a niche. I was just like, get me out of higher education. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and let me just play with the toys that they that they give you access to in corporate. But I think there's something to be said about the niche that you find at the beginning might not be the niche that you stay in over time because I know it certainly changed for me because like my first job, it was an instructional designer in a software company. And so all I did was updating e-learning for a (laughs) software that was continuously being updated. And after a couple of years of that, I was just, frankly, I was bored. Yeah. 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 I think absolutely. You're hundred percent correct. So your niche, I would say it's living and breathing, right? It's it's evolving because as you start to gain more information, more self-awareness, you step into a new role, you will always learn what I like and what I don't like, what I like and what I don't like. It's you're constantly reprogramming. And so I always, especially with my clients in the beginning, their niche is a very iterative process. And so as they have networking conversations, they come back to it. As they go on interviews and they're like, oh, I do not want to do that job, right? They come back to it. As they get offers sometimes, they're like, oh, that's not really aligned with what I want to do. They come back to it. So it's a very iterative process. But once you're in a role, I think it's really important to kind of check in and 
and do a gut check every like three to six months, somewhere in between there to start to ask yourself, okay, like what are the skills that I'm utilizing that I want to continue to use? What am I utilizing that I'm like, oh, like I know for me personally, for many, many years, I was a facilitator. That's what I did and what I did best. And I was really, really good at it, but I got burned out by it. So when I started to think about what my next move was going to be, I knew I wanted to move into a role where I would be doing less facilitation, even though I knew I was really good at it. And everyone knew me for for being a great facilitator. And so I think it's important to check in with yourself because it's really easy to get caught in the trap of like, I've I've been really good at updating e-learning software e-learning courses, right? I'm good at it. Everyone knows me for it. And so you kind of, you can easy to fall in that trap of keep doing it. So I think every three to six months checking in, what skills am I utilizing that are making me, you know, giving me energy? What skills am I utilizing that are sucking my energy out? What new interests do I have? Because of course, every time you start a new role, you're exposed to more things, more people, more projects. So your interests are going to change. And then your values. Our values change too as we grow, as we mature, as we learn more, as we see my values that I had in my first company were very different than the values I had in the last company I was in because I grew. My values changed as a person. I learned more. And so those things shift and change as you shift and change. So it's important to always go back in. I think every three to six months-ish, somewhere in there, check in, see what's going on, and then start to prepare yourself for... Now, what does it look like to move into my next niche? You don't have to wait until you're burnt out, bored, annoyed, whatever it is. Most people do that, right? They'll they'll wait until it gets to not too late, but until they're at a breaking point. Whereas how amazing could that be if six months into a new role, you're really happy, you're fulfilled in it, and you know that in your next role, you'd like to focus more on X, Y, and Z. Like It gives you so much more of a runway to develop yourself and have networking conversations and to to figure out how you're going to market yourself. And it's so much less pressure when we do that. So I, I spoke at a conference a couple of weeks ago on finding your niche. And I had someone come up to me afterwards and was like, I didn't come to your session because I'm happy in my job. But I regret not coming because everyone said that like now they just have clarity on like their overall career trajectory in their life. And I it was so poignant to me because it's like, yeah, most people wait until they're unhappy or bored or burnt out to say what's next for me. But how magical is it if we're happy and we say what's next for me? Yeah, I really like how you phrase it because I do the same thing, Sarah, where you talk about what it is that lights you up and what gives you energy because there's one thing where there's a time management and there's energy management. Mm -hmm. And it's really is like, yeah, we have a certain amount of time, but like, do you have enough energy in that time that you're spending? And we know from studies that we really only have four hours of full energy to focus on the real hard, thoughtful work that we have to do. And so you're only going to get the most out of those four hours of high energy if you're doing something that lights you up and brings you energy. And so, yeah, so tracking your energy levels when you're doing certain tasks is... For sure. Yeah, I always, I actually encourage my clients to do this, especially when it comes to applying to jobs of like weighing your level of energy versus enthusiasm, right? I think the same can be said when it comes to your job, right? General, like what's the amount of energy I have to put into this compared to my level of enthusiasm? Because if the energy is constantly outpacing and exceeding the enthusiasm you have for it, well, you're going to burn out. You're going to burn out quickly, right? Because now you're just, you don't have four hours of energy anymore. And now you have two, 
right? Because you're doing things that are just like sucking it out at a rapid pace. But if we can match what you're enthusiastic for, or if it's even beyond, right? Then you start to have this like energy reserve, which is really, really nice to have. So maybe maybe you get five hours, maybe you get six hours. And we've all been there before in some way, shape or form, whether it's work or not, where we've gotten lost in something, right? And all of a sudden we're like, oh my gosh, I've been sitting here for eight hours. Like I had no idea, but like, it's because you were consciously or subconsciously enthusiastic or excited about it. And it was energizing you and it was pushing you to go forward. I know for me, sometimes like even last night, I was working on something for a a new membership I'm doing. My husband to be, it's 10 o'clock. I was like at night, like what, what happened? Like, oh my gosh. Like we were just like watching basketball and like, I swear we just turned the TV on and it was like 6 p.m. I was just so in that in that zone. It's because I was really excited about what I was doing. And the same can be said for job searching, for career transitioning, for finding a role and being in your role and finding satisfaction in your role. Satisfaction really comes down to, to energy management. I, I love how you put that. And I think it's really important to reflect on that at the end of even each day, like, what did I put my energy towards today? And like, did it drain me or did it energize me? And that's a helpful way that in that three, six month timeframe, go back to that, like actually write it down. My friend, Jess Omley, I love her. She is an incredible L&D practitioner, but she has a journal that she keeps next to her every day called Tilt, Things I Learned Today. And so like she'll, she'll journal just really quickly, high level, what she learned, what took her energy, you know, what, like, and and being able to now go back to that really quickly and say, oh, Hey, for the last you know three months, I've been doing this every day. And like, it's killing me <laughs> or like, I'm doing this every day. And I'm like, been so excited about it. Now, how do I do more or less of that going forward? So that energy management piece is so important, but we also have to be reflective enough to think about how am I managing my energy? I think that's a missing piece. A lot of people are like, oh, I'm drained. And like, they move on. They just are drained the next day and the day after that, the day after that. But how often do we pause and say like, what's draining me? What could not drain me? So I think that's the reflection piece is a really important part. I like how we talked about writing things down. So if we were to give somebody something that they could do right now, Sarah, would it be for them to make a list of all of their skills? Let's walk them through it. Like you just said it. That's exactly what I was going to say. Same brain. Yeah. Get really, really clear. What I, Here's what I would say to do. Make a list of all the skills that you've ever utilized. Like don't even like, don't think about it. Brain dump all the skills that you've ever utilized. And from there, then go through and really ask yourself, like, do I want to utilize this in my next role? Like, is this something I actually, am, am I just good at it and, and it's making the list or do I actually want to utilize that? And everything that's just making the list to make the list, delete it. Like say goodbye. Thank you for what it did for you and your career thus far. Wish it, wish it best. Maybe you come back to it, right? For me, years later, I came back to facilitation. I love facilitating now for my clients and things like that, right? So it, it can come back. It doesn't mean you're deleting it from your brain. Like it's not like an you know, operating system where your, your computer crashed. So make that list, get rid of the skills that just aren't in alignment with you right now that aren't getting you to that big picture. So I think it's a really helpful place to start for you just to understand. And then you can start to think about how do I want to utilize these skills in my next role? And then with that, you can start to see, is there an opportunity for me to upskill? So in some skills, you may see, oh, I like I've been doing this and now people I've been networking with we're speaking the same language here, but there may be some skills that you have to learn more about. Maybe it's a piece of technology or it's a certain framework or something, right? So 
that case, you might need to learn more. But I would say the big thing that someone else, someone could do right now is to also really think about the future. And I like to do a visualization exercise with all of my clients where we really close our eyes and think about at the end of our career, right? At our, at our, at our, our retirement party where all your loved ones are surrounding you and all your coworkers who you like, you know, have come to show up and thinking about, I walk into this exercise where like you're you're in this room of love, right? You see people who just love and adore you and who you've had so much impact on in your learning and development career. As each one stands up, what are they saying about you, right? What, what impact did you have on them or their organization or their learners? And really think about the impact that you want to have, the legacy you want to leave behind. And then come back into the present, look at those skills and say, okay, now what do I want to do next to get me closer to that legacy? I think that's a really important piece. It's we don't have to live out the legacy right now. We all have many, many, many years ahead of us inside of our careers to leave a legacy. But what do we want to do next? Like what what piece can I do next to really live out that legacy? And I think that's where those skills come in, understanding the interests that you have too, getting clear on your own personal values. I always say your skills are going to get you in the door, but your values are going to get you the job. Right. It's like when, when, you know, you know, as hiring managers, when you have that gut feeling, it's not really a gut feeling. The gut feeling is the value alignment. This person, we have, we our, our values will amplify each other. They're a value add to our organization. So I think when you can nail those three things, it makes your career transition so much easier. And that's something you can start to do today and reflect on today. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, this is so good. So in closing, Sarah. Since, I mean, that's what you guys need to go do right now is go write down your skills and start thinking about your, your future retirement party. What is your best and final piece of advice for those who want to become an idol? Yeah. Get clear on what it is you actually want to do and how you want to do it and for who you want to do it for. I think when you can articulate that, the learning development world becomes your oyster. The, the opportunities are endless for you in the best way possible. So reflect, do the inner work. I always say finding a new career is 90% mindset, 10% strategy. The strategy is actually the easy part, but working through your own mindset, getting clear on what you want, getting that clarity, building that confidence, that's the that's the biggest part of it. So when we can get clear, when we know, we can articulate it, and we have the confidence to back it up, it becomes much easier. Couldn't have said it better. Thank you so much, Sarah, for coming and joining me. This was an absolute pleasure. I really appreciate you. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. This was so much fun. Thank you so much for listening. You can find the show notes for this episode at idlecourses.com. If you like this podcast and you want to become an instructional designer and online learning developer, join me in the Idle Courses Academy where you'll learn to build all the assets you need to land your first instructional design job, early access to this podcast, tutorials for how to use the e-learning authoring tools, templates for everything course building, and paid instructional design experience opportunities. Go to idlecourses.com forward slash academy and enroll or get on the wait list. Now get out there and build transcendent courses.